Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 1st, 2023. This week, ratings, more ratings, and David Zaslav just can't help himself. I'm Kim Hollis, wondering how Aquaman will defend his kingdom from the villain threatening to burn it down. (laughs) I, I too, have questions. (laughs) With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, telling our advertisers to go f- themselves. I've just been handed a note here. Uh, oh, we don't have any advertisers. Oh, okay. I guess we're good then. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who only answers to Santa for the next four weeks. Want a present, Kim? Want a present? Sure. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who by law will be doing the podcast in English and French this week. En anglais et en français. C'est la loi. Très bien. I can't wait until I go back home. This week we have a lot to cover, so we're going to go speed round. We've strapped electrodes to David's and Raul's chairs, and if they talk for longer than 60 seconds, they all know it. Wait, what? First up, Walmart launched a new streaming stick running Google TV for only $15 on Black Friday. $15, y'all. $15. This is under Walmart's own ONN house brand. The real streaming wars are the platforms used to access streaming. Roku, Fire TV, Apple TV, even Zumo. For $15, you can add Google TV to your television. I would say that's significant. Can't talk. Electrodes. (laughs) (laughs) the star of freebies jury duty ronald gladden has signed an overall deal with amazon mgm studios if there's one overwhelming takeaway from jury duty it's that ron was a really nice guy and i'm glad to see good things happening to nice guys completely agreed this this makes me happy while this sounds pretty cool the the appeal of it was that he wasn't an actor so well, I guess we'll see what comes out comes of this deal, but it's pretty cool that he's that you know if he's getting paid, cool. Yep. As long as he does a buddy movie with James Marsden, we're all happy, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, his rapport with James Marsden was fantastic. I think if he's like going to get cast in anything, there's going to be actors just knocking down the door at Amazon MGM, just wanting to be in the movie with him. Yep. Hulu's Only Murders in the Building is going to get a broadcast run on ABC in January. The linear isn't dead yet, and the networks are short on content due to their short-sighted behavior during the strike. CBS has been doing this already, taking a number of their streaming shows and putting them on broadcast. And now ABC is doing it too. Alexa, set timer for 60 seconds. Okay, here is the thing you need to know about this. One minute. Starting now. Disney just went all in on linear networks, which was a complete shock to everyone. But this is a real thing that happened. During a speech the other day to investors, Bob Iger said emphatically they are not selling linear networks because he believes he has actually broken the math and figured out a way that Disney can remain profitable on linear while enhancing its streaming and moving to the future. And part of that strategy does involve these multi-platform releases, which means if this succeeds, and we all expect it will, We're going to see a lot more of this because we've already had proof of concept this season because of the strike where CBS had no choice but to air Yellowstone and to air NCIS Australia. And guess what? They're both blockbuster hits. Disney has a Steve Martin show with Selena Gomez that it can air that happens to be, oh, by the way, next level brilliant. So, uh... (laughs) so they're going to put it on network TV and it's going to succeed. But they're going to have to cut out all those full frontal nudity scenes with Steve Martin. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, or, or at the very least, all the, you know, the swearing, but yeah. <laughs> Amazon is expanding their Wheel of Time content with an animated movie and an immersive adaptation, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, the immersive adaptation is a story looking for a headline. That is, that's garbage. But yeah, I don't know if there's really demand for any of this, but Amazon's got deep pockets and they're going to make Wheel of Time a sensation if it costs them a billion dollars. Oh, uh, this just in, it already cost them a billion dollars. I, <laughs> I guess they'll have to spend another billion. They pocketed to this very early on. If they'd waited, it probably would have cost them a lot less because there's already going to be a season three. Again, we, we talked about it. When it made the ratings, season two, I think, was better received than season one. But the fan base for this already was pretty narrow. Realistically, what's going to happen is they're not going to call it a metaverse thing. They're going to call it a Web 3.0 thing. But they're going to basically try to do virtual reality, augmented reality, whichever catchy buzzword is testing best. And it's going to fail. And we can all see that right now. Over at Disney, the Doctor Who writers have a new payment structure now that their content is coming to Disney+. Plus. Disney prefers to buy out the content rather than the residual structure that the creators had with the BBC. I'm not joking when I say that the instant that the Writers Guild in Britain heard about this, they went, wait, hold up. What happened? We did not know about this. Dear writers, please send us your contracts. We need to look at them. We don't even know if this is legal. Now, as someone who is working individually as a freelancer, they always have the right to say, hey, we will make whatever deal makes sense for us as long as both parties honor the agreement. And that is a, what has happened here is now that we have Disney involved with the Doctor Who franchise, which is going to come with more question marks, by the way, Disney has said we don't pay residuals the way that you're used to doing. So we we will pay you more money up front, which is Disney's business model moving forward with all things digital. Understandably, the guilds don't like this idea and are trying to prevent it. What's done is done, though, so we'll see what happens next. The 007 reality competition is out, and it's terrible. Hector Brian Cox said, jokingly, that he... He had signed on because he thought he was signing on to the next movie. I'm starting to think that Brian Cox's mind is no longer in near mint condition. <laughs> it's a lot of pot he smoked or imbibed. I saw a headline that indicated that his work on that show was diminishing his work on succession. <laughs> Apple and Paramount are discussing bundling their streaming services. Warner Brothers Discovery's CEO, David Zaslav, has been talking for some time about how the future of streaming is going to involve bundling multiple streaming services together at a discounted price. And while he talks, other people actually are doing something. Apple and Paramount are actually doing something. So that tells you something about who David Zaslav is versus who is running Apple and Paramount. Yeah, a couple of things here. First of all, nothing has happened yet. This is just something the two parties are discussing. And the other thing when we discuss the Zaslav part, it kind of shows various mentalities. David Zaslav absolutely loves that he's a king now in Hollywood. He sees himself as the deal maker. People have to come to him. So he goes, oh, well, we will consider consolidation and we will consider all sorts of negotiations where we share platforms. But the other party has to go to them. Apple, who, by the way, has real power and not a stock covering around $11 right now, just calls up Paramount and goes, hey, you know, we don't really have Ted Lasso anymore. I understand you're struggling financially. We can help with that. Hey, why don't we get together and then we do our services as a package rather than individually. We can both save money this way 
play and we can offer consumers a better deal. Apple people always thinking, always being smart. David Zaslov always being pretentious, condescending and missing the point. That's where we're at with all this. David, I think you had said offline that you think this could actually lead to just Apple just straight up buying Paramount. So I never know for sure, because the reality is Apple has never really made a big ticket acquisition. The biggest thing they've ever purchased, if you didn't know this, is Beats, the, you know, mm-hmm. the headphone business, which I want to say, I'm not looking at notes right now, but I want to say it was $3 billion. It was not, you know, anything we describe as a large merger and acquisition, but it's like the gold standard for Apple so far. Most people believe right now that Paramount has a price in the 10 to 12 billion range. Apple could pay 10 to 12 billion dollars and never even feel it. So I don't understand why they're not pursuing this just as a clean, tidy transaction. But there's obviously reasons they don't want to. And possibly this is a feeling out process where they want to get in bed together. And if it works out, maybe they'll start going steady and then eventually Apple will commit. These are all speculative ideas, but the possibility exists. And then it's also just as possible. Nothing actually comes from this, which seems to be the case with so many of these streaming deals. Yeah, I'm going to add to that just the fact that buying Paramount is challenging because Sherry Redstone, who's chief executive in charge of Paramount, feels that her company is worth a lot more than that current 10 to $12 billion. She may very well be right. If you look at all the assets that Paramount has, the fact that you'd be able to arguably buy it all for 10 to $12 billion seems uh, absurd. No one accepts that price. Those assets are worth easily 25 to $30 billion. Then again, you look at the options for who would buy Paramount. Apple, Microsoft are bandied around as options and you think, oh, I don't know, $30 billion. I had to remind myself that Microsoft paid $69 billion for Activision Blizzard, $25 to $30 billion for Paramount. That's nothing. That's a cakewalk if they can get it past regulators. Yeah, but I want to go back to this. You can think you're worth more. And, you know, Raul and I, we agree that Paramount should be worth more. But if you just like do a search right now for market cap, it close the business on Friday. The market cap for this company was $10.43 billion, which means you should feasibly be able to buy those shares for, you know, actually less than what we're talking about if you want controlling interest of the company. Now, you'd still have to get it past the board of directors, so there'd be challenges and whatnot. But you're saying, you know, 2.53x what the market cap cap suggests, that's not the way it generally works on Wall Street. So everything we're seeing with Paramount right now is enigmatic. And if you trace all of our comments on this podcast, you can track that because it should be worth more. It's not worth more. And now we're hearing comments like, you know, the Star Trek Lower Decks creator is saying, if you want something beyond season five, you better be telling all your friends to watch this because a lot of Star Trek shows are getting canceled. They can't afford them right now. And if Paramount can't afford new content, it is a losing proposition. Buyers of digital movies and TV shows on the PlayStation Store have learned that they will soon lose access to Discovery shows they bought. This one's still developing. There is a lot we don't know yet, but... All right, here we go. Owning digital content is different from streaming. There's a presumption that if you buy something, whether it's on iTunes or Voodoo or the PlayStation Store, that you'll be able to watch that content forever or at least so long as the service exists. Amazon got burned once when they yanked copies of 1984 from the library of Kindle owners because of a rights issue with the publisher. That did not go over well, and I don't think this is going to go over well either. Now, the ultimate resolution to the situation is unclear. Is this really happening? 
marketing. This comes from essentially a support email that PlayStation sent to some subscribers. There's a lot to unpack, and I think we're just going to have to wait to see how this develops. Yeah, I will say that anyone who knows Raul and I knows that this story immediately captured our attention because both of us own a lot of content on digital services like Vudu and Amazon. We could not be more pot committed to this digital content. And Raul, we have always known this was a risk and a possibility, and we've lived in fear of that, haven't we? Indeed, we have. Once you invest a considerable sum of money into a basically a digital locker, whether we're talking about movies and television or music or books or even even comic books, there's always a concern that maybe one day you won't be able to access that digital locker anymore and all that money that you've invested has gone away. Movies have addressed that to a certain degree by essentially creating a system by which you can extend your library across multiple platforms through the Movies Anywhere dashboard is the way you do it in movies. But it could very well be that even Movies Anywhere stops existing one day and then what? So there's a concern that I have dropped, I don't know, thousands of dollars and bought hundreds of movies. And one day, maybe I can't access those movies anymore. And people just do not have DVDs and Blu-rays on their shelf anymore. If I want to watch this movie and I can't access it digitally anymore, what am I supposed to do? That future hasn't arrived, but we're all afraid that it may one day. David, you get another minute to tell us what Bob Iger told us about activist investor Nelson Peltz and his buddy Ike Perlmuter. But I don't like being shocked by electrodes. (laughs) All right, real quick. Peltz came out this week and said, oh, no, I've thought it over. I want multiple seats on the board, and it looks like he's talking about more than two. Disney turned around and said, without saying anything, we've just decided on two new people for the board of directors. Oh, and it's nobody in any way associated with Peltz and Perlmuter. Along the way, Disney also said, you know what? We've been thinking it over, and we're going to bring back the stock dividends. So if you own Disney stock, as of, I'm not looking at it right now. I think it's December 11th. They will pay you on January 10th, 30 cents per share. So Kim and I are going to get, you know, a couple of dollars. Yes. And uh, we've got other things like that happening here. And the most notable one is Disney went ahead and changed its rules for naming people to the board of directors to make things even harder for Peltz and Perlmuter. And Iger aggressively stated he is leaving in 2026, which I think is his way of saying he is just too old for all of this. And he wants to get away from idiot billionaires like these two. For a guy as rich as Nelson Peltz, you think he'd get tired of getting owned so often. <laughs> and finally, it's our Zaslav wrap-up. We'll start with the Looney Tunes, as Max initially announced that their Looney Tunes cartoons would be leaving the streaming service at the end of the month. What? After an... <laughs> After an immense backlash, Warner Brothers Discovery backtracked and claimed that the announcement was a mistake. Sure it was. What kind of mistake? The mistake that's not a mistake until only a couple of hours ago, everyone started freaking out. I told Kim that day, and this is a Simpsons reference, we apologize to all of you, especially the ones covered in dynamite. That was pretty much what this was like for him, because they just went like, ah, you guys don't care. We're going to take off Looney Tunes. Whoops, you care. You very much care. Please stop threatening me. All right, you can keep Looney Tunes. Bugs Bunny 1, David Zaslav 0. <laughs> Zaslav also spoke to the press this week and pointed out how brave it was for him to erase movies and lay people off. Sure it was. <laughs> how brave was it of me a couple of years ago before all this nonsense started to say that David Zaslav was an idiot and everyone in Hollywood would despise him? 
Did that take courage too? <laughs> All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about with the ratings, but there is some something to talk about with the box office this weekend, isn't there, Tim? Sure. Uh, we are in the post-Thanksgiving weekend, something uh, a few years ago I affectionately dubbed The Void because it is just an absolutely miserable weekend. Everything falls apart. There's very rarely a notable new release, but um, the AMC looked at how successful the Taylor Swift movie was. And then they went through their Spotify playlist and said, Hey, how about Beyonce as a Renaissance, a Beyonce concert film earned $11.5 million on Friday, which wow. Wow. Is what we're going with. I mean, that's, for this weekend, that's better than, than nothing. I mean, Beyonce does have her fans, but I didn't know this existed actually until like, I don't know, yesterday. Well, I really look forward to the better than nothing world tour. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically what happened was when the Taylor Swift thing was announced, everybody was like, well, you know, Beyonce could do this too. And it would probably make almost as much money. That does not appear to be the case. And I think part of this is the deep impact Armageddon thing, where if you're going to come second, you need to be demonstrably better rather than have a sameness. And that's what we're looking at here, where just generally speaking, the film is going to be very successful relative to the first weekend of December, which historically is just box office death. Yes. But still, I just don't think this is good. Tim, tell me why I'm wrong. I'm curious as to what it costs. But yeah, I'm basically looking at like it's generally one of the worst weekends of box office of the year. And to come out with, you know, maybe 20, 25 million or so, that's found money for, well, for AMC, really. We did have one more movie that that tried this weekend. Uh, and it's worth mentioning because it's Godzilla Minus One coming in second on Friday, 4.7 million. But this movie is apparently amazing. 97% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. And still couldn't earn $5 million on, on Friday. Friday. Right. That's the summary of Box Office right now. Mm -hmm. But I did like that you framed it in Orange Cassidy terms of they're going to try with Godzilla. It's not going to work, <laughs> but they're going to try. They're going to try, yes. Yeah, meanwhile, Wish as Wish and the Marvels are just have become an absolute disaster for, for Disney. More, more on that in the next couple of weeks or so when, when things settle in, but... This is worst case scenario for both. Yeah, the Marvels we thought was worst case scenario. Wish is that much worse. This is now a problem. And one of the things Iger discussed in the thing we referenced a minute ago was he said, we have to dial back on our quantity until we get our quality in line again. And that is as kindly as he can say that Wish, Doll of Destiny, Haunted Mansion, all these other films share the same problem where they're not good enough for Disney. At least Iger's smart enough to realize that. He is, but after he promoted Bob Chappick to CEO, Iger's final job at Disney was executive chairman where he was in charge of creative, which means everything that's roosting right now is oh, coming home to him. Okay. Exactly. Uh-oh. Okay. But yeah, I mean, they, they need to take a step back. And yeah, I think he actually, that's, that's a perfect statement is... Yeah, quality before you go back to quantity, because both these movies, for various reasons, not because they're bad, have just been outright rejected by the audiences, which is just unheard of for Disney. All right, let's talk about a lot of ratings. Yes, we have two weeks of ratings, thanks to the Thanksgiving holiday and the one person who works at Nielsen, you know, take, taking the week off. So first, we'll look at Monday, October 23rd to Sunday, October 29th, 2023. This was not a big week. I think there's more news in the in the second one, but we'll go through what we have. Uh, the top show is still the fall of the House of Usher, 944 million minutes. So yeah, actually it's holding pretty well and, you know, timely with the, you know, horror-ish themed, even though it's more of a, a modern set for these post stories, but that's good. But uh, Mike Flanagan's next show will be with not with Netflix anymore, correct? 
Right, Tim. He actually famously left Netflix because Prime Video offered him more money. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that Netflix, some of the people that were the most highly paid talent, they kind of encouraged to find deals elsewhere. Yeah. And we've seen many of his shows do very well on these ratings. Granted, that's because it's Netflix. They're the big one. But I am curious to see how his next product does since it won't be on Netflix. Bodies is still in second, 768 million in minutes for eight episodes. So still doing doing pretty well. That's on the, the list to check out. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, I had played the trailer for my parents and my mom did not realize until the very end that they had already started watching it. I love her, but you know, that's that, that just amused me greatly. I mean, that sounds like it's more on the marketing team. Probably, yeah, possibly. Hmm. Uh, something new in third, Life on Our Planet, 676 million minutes for eight episodes. It is a major documentary series uh, that arrived on October 25th. That's pretty good. I could, actually, it's listed. It's a Steven Spielberg production and Morgan Freeman narrating. So yeah, these documentaries tend to do okay. And I'm happy that it's just not murder because there, there will be some of that later. Disney Plus's Loki is up to 10 episodes, 514 million minutes. Still doing very well. That'll be here throughout, throughout its run. And I hopefully it gets a big, big jump because people were just Loving that finale when it arrives in about a month from now. The best thing the MCU has ever done. (laughs) New in fifth from Netflix, Get Gotti. Three episodes, 490 million minutes. This is, of course, a docuseries about John Gotti, the famous mobster. Sure, why not? Whatever. I I know people love, love that stuff. It's not for me, but there's an audience for it. Goosebumps from Disney Plus and Hulu, 445 million minutes for seven episodes. No surprise here, doing well, holding distant time for Halloween. Yeah, we are going to notice a difference with the next ratings where mm-hmm. you can tell pretty much the moment that Halloween happens and everyone just <laughs> says, ah, never mind. <laughs> but it is running neck and neck with Loki until then, which to me is extremely impressive. Uh, returning in seventh, Big Mouth, 383 million minutes, 69 episodes. This is the adult animated series that seventh and final season arrives on October 20th. I'm just going to grind an axe here to show you just how out of touch Fox executives were at the turn of the millennium when they kept canceling all of these adult animation shows. And now 20 years later, streaming television is completely propped up by adult animation. Great British Breaking Show is a 350 million minutes for 90 episodes, adding them weekly after they air in the UK. They arrive on Netflix not too long after that. Hulu's American Horror Stories, just in time for Halloween, 19 episodes, 327 million minutes. Yeah, we miss this. This is the spinoff from the Ryan Murphy franchise, American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. This is the second season of American Horror Stories, which is, I believe, each episode is a self-contained story. Rather than the season-long anthology series, it's right. Each episode is its own, it's Correct. Its own thing. Yeah. Yep. No surprise. Yeah. I, I want to say we actually saw this pop up last year too, but yeah, it's the second season of it just uh, arrived during this ratings week. And we wrap up originals with Gen V from Prime Video, 299 million minutes for eight episodes for The Boy spinoff. This was the last one, and it shows that maybe this one didn't retain its audience as well as The Boys has. No, I expected better after it started, but it did get renewed for a second season, most likely because it was clearly not expensive to make. Movies is led by No Hard Feelings, 1.1 billion minutes for its first full week of availability from when it finally showed up on Netflix. So we we were wondering on one, last time we discussed ratings, we were like, well, we thought this would do better. Maybe it's because it's second screen viewing given its target audience. But this is this is really good. Whoops, that's on me. I am 100% wrong here, everyone. I prematurely judged this one when it turns out that it was the second week where it got the full week bump. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong here. Yeah, so that, that's good to see. It, it's 
sometimes it gets harder to, to judge depending on exactly when these movies and, and shows arrive. But having the, the full week was very beneficial. And, you know, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't hurt either. Meanwhile, in New and Second from Peacock. Yes, Peacock. Five Nights at Freddy's. 740 million minutes. There is an executive at Universal today who's probably carrying in his pocket a card that says Five Nights at Freddy's. And every time someone says day and date doesn't work, he's just going to hand them that card. <laughs> yeah, this is actually awesome, especially for Peacock, because this is just a three day number. Yeah. It crushed it at the box office and it is crushing it on streaming. This is unprecedented a movie that is a hit both on streaming and in theater at the same time i mean that's not true it's not unprecedented because we've seen the same thing in the past with these nbc universal horror films released in october it was halloween the last couple of years the but last what two I do halloween think, movies yes yeah but what i do think is fascinating here is they didn't do this with exorcist the believer and not coincidentally disappointment in theaters and it didn't debut on streaming until this week which is the first week of december which who wants to watch exorcist the believer right now why didn't they do this in october horror in halloween is free marketing how are we the only ones who realize this or actually maybe how is universal the only one who realized this because I was very excited to see this. I, I knew this would be a huge movie in, in theaters. And David correctly pointed out that the one thing Peacock slash Universal is getting right is day and date. We'll have the full week's number in, in a couple minutes for the following week's ratings. But this was an amazing start for, especially for something from Peacock, which has always been struggling. We've got two different scenarios here. If when Peacock consolidates with somebody else, new ownership or joint ownership might want to disregard day and date, which would be a huge setback and a mistake stake or they're going to have much larger scale and when they have much larger scale that's when everybody starts noticing that's when it's a conversation and it's not just you know like the diehards like us who are really in it who can see the data that's what everybody will look at and go whoa i had no idea and they'll go back and they'll do their homework at that point this is a winning concept but it's only being done in this one very specific example old dads is third that was the top movie last time we saw ratings 643 million minutes Yep. Fine. No complaints there. Uh, new in fourth, though, from Netflix as well. Pain Hustlers, 543 million minutes. This is the drama, slight comedy about the you know opioid epidemic starring Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. Disney Plus's Elemental, still in fifth, 463 million minutes. So again, just gradually sliding down the chart. So that's, that's the equivalent of streaming legs when we used to talk about box office legs, but this is pulling it off very well. Meanwhile, The Nightmare Before Christmas is six, 338 million minutes, and seventh also from Disney Plus. So it, the week before Halloween, Nightmare Before Christmas was watched more than the new movie Haunted Mansion, 277 million minutes. Oof. Yeah, that was just just pile on the things that Disney lost on this year. Wow, just they just missed. This was one of their worst years in as long as I can since, remember, really. Since the era of the Black Cauldron, that is not really hyperbolic. The box office receipts are still going to be large enough to hide it somewhat. But I think everyone knows that if you look beneath the surface at all, it, it's a lot of different mistakes that all came to head at once. The other thing about this, you know, when we talk about some of the shows we just mentioned, it is fair to say, and you have to wonder whether the day and date hurt Disney titles. But then you look at Haunted Mansion and you realize even if there were a shrunken window, this should be doing better on digital than it is if that were an impacting thing. So it just seems like they can't catch a break in any way, shape, or form. 
I am going to go ahead and spoil the rest of the top 10 and point out that as poorly as Haunted Mansion performed on this chart, it did better than either Hocus Pocus or Hocus Pocus 2. Yep, we're going to get there. But yeah, somehow we went the entire month without seeing those resurface on the movies charts, which is just very puzzling to me after they they tended to to dominate previous years. At least last year, we knew Hocus Pocus 2 was new, but Hocus Pocus had previous years always arrived on the chart in October. There's two types of seasonal movies, the ones that are evergreen. And so we'd see here the Nightmare Before Christmas every year, every mm -hmm. year there it is. And we expect that that would have been the case with Hocus Pocus. Oddly, it's not. And to be fair, Haunted Mansion is definitely the second type of holiday movie. That movie will not show up on this chart next year. There are Halloween movies that come out every year and then we never see them again. There are Christmas movies that come out every year and we never see them again. One easy example would be, say, for instance, Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween on Netflix. You'd think that one might have passed the threshold of making it to Evergreen, but after it came out that first year, it never charted again. So there are certain types of holiday movies that come back year after year. I really expected Hocus Pocus to be here. And it's not. On the other hand, the fact that Haunted Mansion did better than Hocus Pocus is just a one-off. And I would very much expect that the tables would be turned next year. And the other thing we should mention, I mean, just in combination with The Nightmare Before Christmas, it's not like Disney Plus films struggled. It's that for whatever reason, there wasn't the same demand for Hocus Pocus this time. However, there are rumors of a Hocus Pocus 3. Hannah Waddingham was recently saying she'd been hopeful to return to the role in the third film. And when I look at it, I think maybe what needs to happen for Hocus Pocus is we need to be talking about new content for people to be as likely to tune in like they did last year where there was a new story. Minions from Netflix, for some reason, is back in eighth, 275 million minutes, sure, whatever. But something new, Knights of the Zodiac, 266 million minutes. This was apparently a theatrical release earlier this year. Yeah, we've got the Sony Bravia app, and they are trying to sell us this movie every time we load it. And it looks so low budget, like it's laughable. It is. I wanted to say that we we talked about it. One of the names sounded familiar, and that's the lead actor, McInew. But I think that's because he showed up in something else we talked about on uh, what's... Oh, he's in One Piece. Yeah, that's right. One Piece. Okay. That's why it, it sounded familiar. Okay. But yeah, this is a live action adaptation of a manga that I was not familiar with and flopped in theaters and just arrived on, for whatever reason, arrived on Netflix late in October. Uh, Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before. The one thing I'll mention is Suits is finally under a billion minutes, 997 million minutes. And that's all I have to say about that week. Because we have to look at the most recent set of ratings going from Monday, October 30th to Sunday, November 5th, 2023. A new show at the top originals chart, All the Light We Cannot See, four episodes, seven. 120 million minutes. This this is the Netflix homepage essentially telling you you must watch this. I can't imagine anyone thought, you know what I want to do? I want to watch that four-part Nazi Holocaust miniseries on Netflix. <laughs> Yeah, arrived November 2nd, so it's not the full week. So it'll probably take a big jump next week with the full seven days because the full court press Netflix has given it. But yeah, you pretty much summed it up there, real. The Fall of the House of Usher is still in second, 565 million minutes. Loki, Disney Plus again in third, 11 episodes, 560 million minutes. Life on Our Planet, fourth, 531 million minutes. And Bodies. Back to Netflix, 403 million minutes. The Great British Baking Show, 6, 392 million minutes, 91 episodes. Again, adds them weekly as they air in the UK. Uh, returning in seventh, Selling Sunset, 364 million minutes, 467 total episodes, because of course the most recent season of this, the seventh, arrived on November 3rd. So chance we see it go higher next week with the full week. 
Unfortunately, an eighth till murder do us part through 42 million minutes. I was hopeful this was something else with that title, but no, it's a murder documentary. <sighs> yeah, uh, exactly. Did Jens Soaring murder his girlfriend's parents in 1985? Let's do better, people. Yeah, I knew this one would show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, ninth from Apple TV Plus, The Morning Show, 315 million minutes for 29 episodes. Uh, one more to go in the season because it released weekly. The finale arrived November 8th, so we'll probably see it again next week. And then who knows when we'll see another Apple TV Plus show. So I did say that at the end of Ted Lasso, and look what happened. And Goosebumps, still getting the remnants of the holiday week or the, the Halloween week for the first couple days. Through an eight million minutes in tenth. Props to Justin Long there, who scored himself quite a hit series on Hulu and Disney Plus. Yeah, and I can see that being a, an annual thing now. And just in terms of making new episodes, not the series returning to the charts as evergreen as discussion we just had, but with another season. Because Lord knows there were enough books. Movies is now led by Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. 1.1 billion minutes. Well deserved. It arrived on October 31st. By the middle of the week, don't know. But that's most of the week. So I, I think it'll drop next week. But that's still a very good start. Uh, five Nights at Freddy's with the full week, 562 million minutes. So a, a, a drop, but that was to be expected because it it is horror themed and in time for Halloween. So it probably got a lot of views in the first couple of days and then, then then trailed off. I actually would not be surprised to not see it at all next week, but still a very good box office performance and streaming performance. As I said, a couple months ago, if you had said Five Nights at Freddy's would make more than the Marvels, people would have looked at you like you were crazy. Elemental from Disney Plus is third, 425 million minutes. Again, just very slowly declining, which is always awesome to see. Pain Hustlers, 401 million minutes. Uh, after leading the previous week, No Hard Feelings, 388 million minutes. And here we go. Moving the calendar means new movies. The Mummy, 2017 edition, 364 million minutes in six. Yep. It came back to Netflix on November 1st. Got to be careful there. You don't want to give Universal the idea that they should reboot their monster franchises again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please do not read anything into this universal. We don't want more of those. Minions was also on the previous week's chart, 364 million minutes. But in eighth, Cold Pursuit, 332 million minutes. Liam Neeson is Mr. Plow. Yes. I love that we can describe this as the one where Liam Neeson drives a truck in the snow and kills people, and we'd have to be more specific. (laughs) (laughs) This one is the really good one. I was going to say, this one is way better than you think it would be, right? Oh, yeah. I think it's terrific got a very dark sense of humor about it okay that that's on on the list to watch one day when i have all the time in the world which will be never meanwhile also quote new in ninth the change up 319 million minutes you could never have enough body swap movies no i i oh man that means that new one the jennifer garner one's gonna do awesome then mm-hmm. oh great okay yeah this just came back to netflix as well and at least we have a new title in 10th a haunting in venice 294 million minutes this one's on hulu i don't exactly know when it showed up on streaming but that's pretty quick from its theatrical release but i imagine it was the start of the week maybe to get some you know a little halloween viewing just just in time yeah this one surprised me when it showed up on hulu just in time for halloween and i jumped right on it and watched it i know it didn't do as well as the previous two poro movies but i do hope kenneth brynell keeps getting getting to make them here's my question has anyone done a body swap movie that involves a time loop as well because there's your idea (laughs) oh no i've gone (laughs) cross-eyed All right, but the big news is on the acquired chart because it is no longer led by suits. Our long national nightmare is over. It is Grey's Anatomy cracking a billion minutes. No, it does not appear to have added a new season. It's just people finally finished watching Suits and, and went back to their their old standby. Uh, Grey's Anatomy, not the show that I thought it would be. Uh, that happens to be in third. Friends, two hundred thirty six episodes and eight hundred sixteen million minutes because we are now reflecting the ratings week after the 
passing of Matthew Perry. So that is a big jump for Friends, but not enough to crack the top of the acquired chart. And probably more people would watch it if it weren't on Max. Yeah, that's a good point. Second business idea for the week, selling Grey's Anatomy wine. So you can just go ahead and put the two together since the fans are already doing that. (laughs) But we do have two new shows, I guess we have to mention, both on Netflix, of course. In eighth, The Family Business, 42 episodes, 606 million minutes. I had to look that one up. Yeah, I had not heard of this previously. This is a BET series that lasted four seasons and ran from 2018 to 2022. And for some reason, on October 24th, it came to Netflix. So after uh, a full week of existence, it cracks the acquired chart. Meanwhile, our other new show, credited to Netflix and Peacock, Botched. 127 episodes, 566 million minutes viewed. I thought Bosch was on Amazon Prime. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's Botched, not Bosch. Not unfortunately a comedic wrestling program, but a reality show about bad plastic surgeries. Ugh. Yeah, it could be worse. It could be something like, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper, but this is probably just as bad. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, so it's so it's new shows. This also just came to Netflix at the beginning of November, and people are just willing to watch anything that, that Netflix shoves at them. So there you go. But yeah, that was two weeks of ratings. That's that's exciting. We I liked Five Nights at Freddy's performance. I'm curious to see what happens with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, All the Light We Cannot See, probably does even better next week. And then we finally have conquered the Suits Monster. It is down to second, 914 million minutes, but that was only, what, six months or so? Yeah, it had quite a rain. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure if we cumulatively added minutes from every every set of ratings, I wonder that is probably now the most watched show in the history of Netflix. It might be, and and, and you've you've had you know nothing against the show, but you've had way better choices, people, and that's all I've got this week. Okay, as always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week, and I finished reading a book called The Witch King by Martha Wells. This fantasy novel is all about the world building, telling the story of Kai, a demon who travels with his best friend Zidi, a witch. The races of demon and witch aren't necessarily what you might imagine, with Kai being a kind but terrifying being, while Zidi is incredibly intimidating in her own right. But this is really an intricately imagined tale of political intrigue with Kai and Zidi solving their own murders in a sense. I would love to spend more time in this world, so I'm hoping that Wells' original intent of having The Witch King be a standalone novel changes at some point. Raul, how about you? I'm going to tell you about Bodyguard on Netflix. Yes, the 2018 series. I just got around to it. Richard Madden, who's actually appeared in a number of shows that we might recognize, including Amazon's Citadel, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones, stars as London Metropolitan Police Sergeant David Budd, tasked with the protection of Home Secretary Julia Montague. Budd's a troubled war veteran, and when Budd prevents a terrorist attack on a train, his life begins to spiral out of control. This series went viral when Netflix released a clip of an intense sniper scene from the second episode. As it turns out, the series pretty much begins with the intensity dialed up to 10 and never really lets up. Budd's an incredibly complex character, and the series itself is equally complex, although that's the premise, as the six episodes keep you guessing until the very end. It's riveting, never letting up, but also a little bit much. I watched the whole series over two nights, but I had to take a break between the first and second night. I couldn't quite manage two nights in a row. And the best news is that, although it's been almost six years since this series premiered, a second season is apparently on the way. This show's been on my to-watch list since it premiered, and I'm very glad I finally got around to it. I do recommend you watch, if you haven't already bodyguard on netflix tim what's been keeping you busy 
So I mentioned two things. The first is, I guess we have to talk about Survivor Series from last weekend. It was fine, which I guess <laughs> in the era in the era of AEW pay per views and you know the occasional WWE event, we you know we hope for more than fine. But the War Games matches were pretty brutal and, and worth watching. But the big thing is what happened at the very end, and it is really hard to shock people in wrestling in 2023. There's very little that that can move that needle at this point. But at the very end, they put on the credit bug, and then all of a sudden, Cult of Personality started playing, and CM Punk walked out, and everyone just lost their collective minds, either for good or for bad. It helped that it was in Chicago, which is uh, a place that absolutely adores him but i absolutely admit to being absolutely shocked and being like oh my god this when that happened because i did not expect it i did not believe that this was people claimed it was going to happen i did not believe it and then 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 there he is he showed up he's re-signed with wwe after burning all his bridges in AEW. i mean i i don't like him still i don't i don't really want him there but you know for shock value you got me i will give him that much where it goes from here i don't know i know they're building towards something in wrestlemania i don't know when he's actually going to have a match he's bouncing around between between raw and smackdown so far but I just give him a couple months before he wears out his welcome, does something stupid, and then, you know, is is released. But uh, hey, maybe he's changed his behavior. Who, who knows? Well, only time will last tell on month? That. Only time will tell on that one, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, Tim is saying he was absolutely surprised. Kim and I actually looked at the clock, said, well, the WWE pay-per-view was ending. We should turn it on and see if CM Punk won. We turned it on just in time to see the finish of the previous match where Randy Orton almost broke somebody's neck. And then seconds <laughs> later, they played Cult of Personality and were like, yep, sounds about right. Because at the end of the day, CM Punk has burned every bridge he had and he needs money. So it is not at least bit surprised at all that he's in this. But Kim, we're pretty disappointed to watch him bend the knee aren't we yeah i i really felt ambivalent about it i'm much as i was you know happy to see him it's not the way i wanted it to be and i don't know i'm disappointed we'll see what happens i tend to agree with tim that he will be out of the company within a couple months yeah we've got a running joke right now rick flair is currently a part of sting's farewell <laughs> tour and it's kind of a question of who lasts longer between Ric Flair and CM Punk because, you know, both of them are a detriment to themselves. But the difference is CM Punk is a complicated but well-intended man. He just can't beat his own demons. But just to a larger point, they filed a lawsuit against him on the day of his wedding. And it just feels like a personal loss for him to have to go back to that place as much as he hated it. And he could have avoided that fate if he could have just beaten his own personal demons. And he didn't. So, you know, it's the better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. He wasn't willing to serve in heaven. So now he's back in WWE. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like I said, it's outside of, say, you know, someone like John Cena showing up in AEW or you know, name any any top WWE guys showing up or one day Kenny Omega walks out on WWE. This is probably the last shocking thing I think that we'll ever really truly really see in, in wrestling. Yeah, it was it was it was something. And go watch just the absolute joy from that Chicago crowd because I think David yes. pointed out like he could he could run for mayor of Chicago and get like 90% of the vote. <laughs> I honestly believe no hyperbole that he could run on either ticket. He'd run as a Democrat, but he could run on either ticket and he would get legitimately, I think, 75 to 85% of the vote because he is a living God in Chicago. And his acts of kindness there have kind of taken on a legend of their own. And even when he was doing the stupid stuff that cost him his job at AEW, he was trying to help 
help a small bakery in Chicago sell more, what was it, cupcakes? M- muffins. So, yeah. Muffins, yes, thank you. So that's that's where we're at with all this. And then I'll throw in the fact, I just haven't had a lot of free time this week. And when I used my free time, it was painfully, and this isn't a joke, finding the perfect gifts for people. I agonize over people. Like Raul has several gifts on his way and I'm frustrated because I felt like the previous two years we did a better job. Tim got his gift yesterday. And if you look at the calendar when we recorded this, yes, that means he got his Christmas present on December 1st. Kim has already gotten several Christmas presents. This is just who I am. I am not wired right. And my niece recently diagnosed me correctly by saying that gift giving is my love language. So that's mainly what I've been into. But yeah, I've been working my way through very slow MCU The Reign of Marvel by Joanna Robbins. I'm about a third of the way through it. This book is fascinating. I'm only about a third of the way in, but it does show how slapdash the early days of Marvel were and how much of this was fortune rather than anything planned because let's remember before disney came in in the 1990s marvel was facing bankruptcy they made whatever deals they could when they started saying hey let's go ahead and produce our own stuff marvel people like high level marvel executives like avi arid were stubbornly against the idea because they had a kind of arbitrage business model and it jeopardized that business model we almost didn't get the mcu for that reason and instead we start seeing all of these names like Luis Desposito, Victoria Alonso, and Kevin Feige, how random it was that they came together to be a part of Marvel and how this all worked out. As a matter of fact, Feige was actually Lauren Schuler Donna's personal assistant on some of her films. And the only reason he'd taken that job, he had other work opportunities in Hollywood. He wanted to work with the person whose husband had made the Superman films in the 1970s. He didn't really know Marvel that well until he started working on on the X-Men project. And by the way, that was accidental as well. We are very lucky to have the Marvel Cinematic Universe because if you just trace all the things that had to happen for it to line up to get the films we've gotten, it's all just a staggering array of blind luck. And that part of it fascinates me, as does, you know, the reinforcement of the fact that Isaac Perlmutter may not be the best human being. I don't want to shock you, but it is a possibility. So there you have it. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Be sure to watch for us again next week.